I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Can you say the letter C? Welcome back, CC Hunt Files. It's hunting season. Gosh dang, we are right in it now. We have got antelope seasons opening up across the country. They're either open right now or going to be opened up. Uh, the 15th kind of like the, the main hit line there. I am super pumped to bring you guys this week's episode. Great guest. This guy knows more about antelope. Well, actually, let me, re- let me rephrase that. This dude has forgotten more about antelope than most of us will ever know. Super excited to get this one out to you guys. It is action-packed, all about antelope, different ways to hunt them. Pre-season, early, or, uh, early season, the rut, late season, it's all in there. The guy's got tips, techniques. It's an hour and a half of nothing but antelope. Um, I absolutely love to hunt those suckers. This guy eats, sleeps, and breathes it. He's wrote books on it. Uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get it out for you guys. It's a fun hunt. I love, love, love antelope hunting. I, I was hoping to pull a tag this year, and I did not. Um, but it, it's one of my most favorite animals to hunt with my bow, hands down. With that being said, let's run through the sponsors and let's get this baby cranked. Grizzly Coolers, code WCB. I have got my 165, my 400, and one of my new 40s loaded up, ready to rock and roll. They'll be heading to New Mexico here shortly. Um, my buddy Jared Knighton, I'll borrow some of his coolers out there in Utah when I'm solo. If I kill a good buck in next week, um, I will be using... He's got some grizzlies out there that I can use once I get a buck packed off the mountain. I'm thankful for good buddies out there. Thankful that you know I can fly out to that one instead of driving. But anyways, grizzly coolers... Code WCB. They got a brand new lineup, a lot of new colors. They've got new gear. They've got new uh, drinkware. They've got new software. They've got new hats and shirts. And just go check them out. You won't be disappointed. Black Ovis. Code WCB10. Save you some cash. With that being said, I am lucky to be chosen to test out some of their new gear for this fall that will release next year. Now. A lot of the stuff I ran all summer and spring and on bear hunts, turkey hunts, etc. was this past year's newest stuff. It was phenomenal. Their Merino is great. The Black Ovis brand is great. They have found ways to even improve on that. So I am super stoked to give you guys updates. What I've loved about um, Black Ovis as a brand is they've got so many different companies, but then their own Black Ovis brand is totally kick-ass. So their Merino tops and bottoms... Their puffies, 
their vests, their gloves, their hats, top notch. And then if you want to just go to Black Opus and buy like Sitka or Kafaru or whatever, Crispy, Loophole, they've got all that stuff too. So it's a one-stop shop. Um, Aero ID Builder, if you guys are running low on arrows, get in line and get your name in the hat over there. Let them build you custom arrows, ID them, ship them to your door. You don't have to fuck with them. You can just pay them to do it. I've seen the process. I've been there. They're top-notch arrow builders. They know what they're doing. They take great pride in what they do, and they only build arrows. That is their only job there. They are arrow builders. Trust in them. I would, and I'm about as picky on arrows and gear as it gets. So if they're good enough for me, I think they'll be good enough for you. Last but not least, Hunter's Box Club, Devin Leonard, my main man, our main man. Um... Best hair, whitest teeth on the mountain. You guys know the drill. Hunter's Box Club, he's got some killer deals going to be going on this fall. He's got some big, uh, I'm not going to say sales, but he's got some different things he's going to give back to you guys. So there's some stuff in the works, some stuff in the mix. I don't want to say too much and get myself in trouble, but keep an eye out for that. If you're not subscribed, hottest hunting box out there, $29.99, ships to your door. First box is free. Get a hold of Devin, huntersboxclub.com. With that being said, we're going to dive right into bow hunting antelope. Here we go. I welcome back CC Hunt Files. I got my main man on the other end of the line, and today is a very special topic. Uh, I hand-selected this guest because I feel like he has forgotten more about antelope hunting, speed goat hunting, uh prairie rat hunting, whatever you want to call those suckers. I, this guy's probably forgotten more than I'll ever know and has probably killed more than I'll ever have a chance to kill. Um, man, Jace Bosman, on the other end of the line, who, who I do want to say just recently has started his own podcast, and I want you to talk about that real quick, Jace. Uh, introduce yourself, talk about the podcast real quick, and we are going to dive all into speed goat hunting because we got a lot of ground to cover, and just like an antelope that's been shot at... Um, Man, we got a lot, a lot to cover in very little time. So we are, uh, we're, we're, we're man, we're going to hit it hard and hit it fast. Oh man, I appreciate it, buddy. I appreciate the introduction. I always love being on the podcast. We have a really good time. I know our time is going to go super fast, so we will definitely get after it. Um, so yeah, I mean, recently just started a uh, a podcast for a platform that I'm working for, working with, I guess I should say, Born Hunting. Um, just had our first episode, uh, recorded our first episode uh, yesterday, and that was you. So uh, when I thought about uh, having that first guest, you know, like um, it was it was pretty easy pickings for me. Um, just being able to know that, man, I want to I want to have Clint on there. It's perfect timing. We're going to talk mule deer, uh, high country prep, um, all all the, all the stuff that that um, that goes into that. And 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 I thought it was a a super, super, super good episode. I told you it was super weird for me because I'll tell you what, I mean, being a guest, I, I, I've been fortunate to be a guest on a bunch of different podcasts and, um, and, and be on yours several times. And like, as a guest, I feel super comfortable. Like right now I just feel like, man, super comfortable. Yesterday I told you when we were done hosting it. I broke into a sweat like three times, man. Uh, twice I thought I forgot to hit record. I was like looking at stuff. I was, oh man. And then you just really got to <laughs> stay up on it. But <laughs> yes, it was, sir. it was, it was, it's, it's something different, man, but it's, it's, it's a new venture, a new challenge. So it, it'll be super cool, but man, I'm pumped to talk speed goats. Uh, let's dive in and, 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 and get these listeners, um, some, some good as I can give information. <laughs> 
Well, I can't thank you enough for having me on, man. That, that was that was awesome that you thought of me. That uh, it was an honor to be on first guest and maiden voyage, and you, you did a hell of a good job. And for being a guy that's been, you know, the the guest on a, a bazillion of them to go from guest to host, I can tell you firsthand, it's not easy, and it takes definitely. Um, it's a different mindset, and it's kind of a different way of looking at things, but in my opinion, you killed it, did a great job. Uh, I know as time goes on, you're going to get more and more confident, and it'll get even better and better and better for you on your end as far as how you feel about it. It is weird the first few times. Um, it took me a good solid year to get really, really comfortable with it to where I was like, man, I've, I've got kind of some mojo and some confidence build up, but it'll come, I promise you. Um, but no, with that being said... Okay, Jace, give us your your background on antelope because, excuse me, I think that's very important yeah. for people to understand. You know, I love to hunt antelope. Um, I've been fortunate to kill some really good ones, but I would not classify myself as a speed goat guy or an antelope guy. Sure. Um, you are someone I would classify um, if, you know, if someone says, what's Jace known for? Uh, in my opinion, it's antelope and it's turkeys. Those are, those are two of your <laughs> bow hunting specialties yeah. so give us a rundown you've you've written some books and some some kind of mm-hmm. how-tos give us just a quick breakdown of kind of what you've done in the antelope speed goat world um and then we're going to dive into some scenarios and kind of dive into the different ways to hunt them but sure. I, I want people to know where you stand in the antelope world um you know you're not just a quote-unquote a guy that bow hunts antelope like i would consider myself you you have a, a vast 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 amount of knowledge here uh, and i want people to understand that right right out the gate yeah man so this will be my 24th season hunting pronghorn so you know over two decades in and uh you know during that time um I've harvested, uh, harvested over 30 bucks. Now, uh, that's with multiple states included. You know, those aren't all Colorado bucks, but I've harvested, uh, over 30 bucks, uh, all with, all with archery tackle. And, um, for me, what got me started antelope hunting was, you know, <clears throat> when I got into bow hunting here, nobody in my family hunts, you know, I've told that story before. Um, and I was just kind of, I, I just fell in love with it. Like I fell in love with the outdoors uh, growing up. Um, we raced motocross and my dad basically said, Hey man, um, you know, I'm not going to go out there and hunt. It's not my jam. It's not my thing. But if you, you know, if, 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 if you really think you want to do it, take your hunter safety, use your, use your dirt bike for your transportation. And so, you know, I, I started hunting a lot of small game and then you know, when I got to the point where I could afford a very, very, very cheap bow and very, very, very worthless Walmart camo and um, <laughs> uh, a few of these different things, I was able to, I was able to hunt big game, but I didn't have the money to hunt uh, elk and make that trip uh, from where I live in, in in southeast Colorado at the time. And and deer, I was like, I, I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, but antelope, I could see them. Right. Like and and I could see them out um, on the prairie when I would go drive or go dove hunting or doing these things. I'd see pronghorn. and I'm like, man, if I can see it, I think I could kill him with my bow. And so I started kind of putting this plan together for, for my first pronghorn. And oh, my gosh, what an epic failure that was. I mean, I got kicked in the teeth um, for season starts on August 15th. I went every single day until I killed a dink of a buck, <laughs> which I am, he's sitting right here in my office. Um, I, I killed him on September 1st uh, of that first inaugural season by pure happen chance luck. Um, and uh, since then, man, it's just been kind of an ongoing obsession with me for that creature. 
Um, what intrigues me about them is they're the second fastest land animal in the world. Uh, they've been clocked in excess of 60 miles an hour. So, you know, to call them the second fastest, I mean, they have cheetah, cheetah-like speed. They're the fastest animal in North America. They've got amazing vision. Um, they are not related to any antelope species. They are their own species, man. Um, and it just makes them super special. They're most closely related to the giraffe. I mean, I can throw out all these crazy facts about them that I just, once I fell in love with them, I got really interested in them and learning about them. And then I started discovering all these different ways that you can hunt them with archery equipment. I mean, there's water, there's fence crossings, there's spot and stock, there's decoying, there's um, using, you know, when I say decoying, there's using uh, actual pronghorn decoys, but you can decoy them with cow decoys. I've used live horses. I mean, I've tried to hunt these things and be very flexible and versatile as a pronghorn hunter, and I think that's what you got to do, but I, I've wrote books about them. I've pinned thousands, literally thousands of articles about hunting them, and I feel like I do have a pretty good grasp of the species and, and, and how to get it done on them. Um, uh, sometimes I luck into them, so it's, it's, uh, it's it's something I love talking about. Now, Jace, you wrote a really good book on on this exact animal and, and bow hunting him. What's the name of that book? Because if anyone is super, super, super interested in yeah. um, antelope hunting, uh, that that book is a it's, a it's a must read and I highly recommend it because you dive into every facet out there. So if you like this podcast yeah. and you're getting into antelope hunting or you've been antelope hunting and you just need more of it, that book would be a great thing for someone to pick up. Not super expensive and for what you're going to gain no. out of it, it is it is well worth the money. But what what's the what's the name of that book? I I've, I've lost the name. Yeah, right. it's it's Bow Hunting the Prince of the Plains. That's it's it. available That's on it. Amazon. If you even if you just go type in Jace Bosman in Amazon, that book is going to come up. A few other books I wrote are going to come up. But it is a easy read. Like I didn't write the book to be Hemingway, right? Like I wrote the book to. It's very hard hitting. It's very nitty gritty. It's very. Um, it's it doesn't have pictures. I mean, it's basic. But when you want to talk about like. I mean, I break it all the way down on my favorite days of the antelope rut and things to remember over water, spot and stock techniques, decoy techniques. I try to put everything in there. I've got journal entries of my own that I've just thrown in there about days when things went wrong and things went right and I share successes, failures. So it's, 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 it's a pretty good read. I'm, I'm going to write another one that's a little more in depth. Um, that one's, you know, I, I wrote that book five, six years ago now, but it's done, it's done pretty well. I'm, I'm, um, but yeah, if somebody's interested in that, just go to Amazon, type in Bow Hunting the Prince of the Plains, or type in Jace Bosherman, and boom, you'll find it. Perfect. Well, I hope a lot of people yeah. do that because it's, like I said, it's, it's well worth the read and, and there's a lot to be gained there. Um, okay, Jace, before we dive into the different ways to, and kind of the how to to hunt antelope, what do we need for equipment? Let's, let's start right out of the gate. Okay. I want to go hunt speed goats, antelope, pronghorn. Mm -hmm. They've got lots of different names. Um, What do I need or what are some key factors here in Jace's mind that need to be on my bow, part of my bow, uh, Mm -hmm. my arsenal of hunting equipment? What's kind of the basic, like, okay, you really need this to get started in the antelope hunting world to kind of put yourself out there to where – you can have some success. I mean, obviously, just a bow and, and some arrows is kind of the start. But if a guy's mm-hmm. like, hey, 
I really want to dive into this. You know, what's what's some other gear or what's some things yeah. about the bow that absolutely are must-haves to give yourself the best opportunity to be successful? Because these aren't an easy animal, no, animal my to, gracious. to bow hunt. Um, they're, they're fun, <laughs> and there's a lot of yeah. them, and there's a lot of tags out there, but they're by no means easy. So how do we set yeah. ourselves up for success right out of the chute? Perfect. So, you know, you heard me say earlier, like my first, my first um, buck that I killed, you know, I killed him with an old Chuck Adams reflex bow. Um, <laughs> I killed him with uh, a standard three blade muzzy broadhead and cotton Walmart camo. So, I mean, you can get it done with, with, you know, it, it, you can, you can get it done, but there, there's a lot of equipment that's going to make the process a lot uh, more comfortable and really help up your success. So let's let's start with the bow first, right? I don't care what you shoot, um, but I will tell you when you're pronghorn hunting, um, and if you're going to plan on doing it outside of a, a, a ground blind, and even if you're planning on doing it inside of a ground blind, you, you need to be flexible enough to utilize a lot of tactics that we'll talk about later, but you need a dial to the yard movable sight. Um, and I tell you that because you need to be comfortable shooting a pronghorn beyond 60 yards. Um, now, I'm not telling you, uh, you know, I'm not going to get everybody riled up early and go, oh, he's saying to shoot him at 100. I'm not saying to shoot him at 100. But I'm telling you, out to 80 yards, if you work on it with today's equipment and you can get a pronghorn that is completely unsuspecting that you're there, you need to be able to put one in him at 80 because these things, you know, with your spotting and stock and things like that, closing that gap to 80 is extremely difficult. Now, my average shot distance on pronghorn of the 30 plus, uh, I figured it up just the other day. It's like 36 yards. That includes all tactics. But I'm telling you, when you have a dial to the yard movable site and whether you go with a single pin or a three pin or a five pin movable, just being able to have that tape and dial to the exact yardage is huge in my opinion. Uh, something else you'll want to consider is I like a very micro diameter arrow. Uh, I shoot Easton's four millimeter axis and they are a pricey arrow, but I'm going to tell you um, if you are going to shoot longer distances and if you um, want to reduce wind drift, if you want to boost your penetration because these arrows track perfectly behind a broadhead and don't create friction as they go through the animal. I like a four millimeter or, you know, Easton does everything in millimeters. There's lots of great arrows out there, but get something in a micro diameter shaft that's going to buck and cut through those Western winds like butter. You want that. I also highly recommend a, uh, you know, a, a good solid mechanical broadhead. I'm not too big. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fixed blade guy. Never have been. Um, but I like a solid one and a half to two inch cut. Two-inch cut is fine on pronghorn. I really believe that. They're thin-skinned. They're not super thick-boned. Um, they're kind of a daunt or a tawny little little critter, you know. And um, you can uh, you can you can take them down with that pretty pretty effectively if you put it in the right place. Uh, great optics. Um, I you're definitely going to want a spotter. You're going to definitely want a good pair of uh, ten or twelve power binos um, on your chest. And then um, some some important things when it comes to your to your your apparel and, and what you're wearing, you're gonna want lightweight, breathable clothing because guys and gals, it's going to be a freaking scorcher. Uh, I run my Sitka gear; it's light, it's athletic. Uh, a lot of my Sitka pants that I run have knee pads integrated into them. If you don't have pants with knee pads integrated into them, you need knee pads. You also 
Elbow pads are a great thing to invest in and a good pair of leather gloves because the cactus out here on these prairies will flat ruin your day and they will stand you straight up on a stalk. Um, as far as that goes too, I like a good pair of tough, durable boots. Now, I would prefer a pair of very lightweight boots, but here's what I found. A lot of my lightweight boots allow cactus entry. They've got too much mesh. They've got too much, uh, too many spots where a cactus needle can slide in there and stab me in the side of the foot. So I like um, an all leather, very durable boot. Um, and that's kind of my, that's kind of my gear list as a quick, quick breakdown. I and mean, we could, of course, we can dive into packs and we can dive into all the other uh, uh, things, but um that's, you know, that's kind of my, my go-to antelope setup um, when it comes to gear, bud. Oh, that's perfect. Spot on. Uh, couldn't agree more. You know, you and I run very similar setups when it comes to gear, arrows, uh, broadheads, etc. Um, for my own personal experience, yeah, I mean, the, the most forgiving, accurate, bow setup that a guy or gal can have is, is the most important. Yeah. Um, what I'm going to tell yes. people out there is forget speed. And I don't mean forget speed as in it's not important, but here's the deal. If an antelope decides it's going to jump out of the way of your arrow going 400 feet per second, 500 feet per second, 300 feet per second, 200 feet per second, um, they can duck a bullet. Oh, man. They will duck your arrow. So get a setup that is quiet, forgiving. Yes. Um, you know, if you've got a bow that can be off by a yard or two because of the forgiveness mixed with some speed and a small diameter arrow, that is way better than some scorching, screaming demon five inch brace height bow that is loud as a 22 going off and is not forgiving because here's the deal. Your bow at 380 or your bow at 300 or your bow at even 600, if you could get a bow to shoot that fast, if a pronghorn decides he's ducking you. You are he's, at, he's ducking. You, <laughs> for lack of better terminology, you are effed and up shit crick without Completely. a paddle because he. I have. I've actually shot. I shot at a buck in Montana that was perfectly feeding, fifty-eight yards. Um, I was out there with with Brian Barney, and we both had tags. and And I went after this buck, and he goes, "Man, I'm going to film you right over the shoulder." He goes, "With my phone." He goes, "This will be epic footage." He goes, "You know, we got everything right." Long story short. 58 yards, get to full draw, settle the pin, shot breaks. And I mean, this goat should be dead. Like this speed goat should be dead. I mean, the pin is dead money where I need it to be. Shot felt great, 58 yards. That should be a chip shot for me. You know, like I'm very, very, very confident at that range. The goat is feeding. Um, this speed goat, not only did he duck my arrow, he spun and my arrow actually went right past his ass and, and face because mm -hmm. when he spun, he was facing one eighty. Yes, he was <laughs> yes, facing I've east and happen, he was facing east Ooh. and west. And by the time my arrow got to him, which was traveling north and south, he was also traveling north and south. So there was nothing to hit but air, and he was already ten twenty yards away from the spot. He was already at eighty yards. When my arrow got to the 58-yard mark. So, long story short, it didn't matter how fast of a rig I had that day. Um, that antelope was not coming home with me to Ohio. And he decided that the second the bow went off. Now, all I can think is that, you know, 
some way, some shape, somehow, he heard that arrow coming, whether it was a little bit of the vein, whether it was... I totally agree. You know, but for whatever reason, he knew what was going on, and that was one of my first experiences with antelope. So I'm here to tell you, don't think yep. you're going to outgun them, because no. you won't. Um, you know, and you're probably going to miss a lot more than you hit, even on great shots, just because they're that fast. Um, yep. So, you know... Yep. And Jace, you did a great job of kind of running through the gear and explaining all that. But just my own personal experience, I wanted to add that no. in there. You know, and you make a good, good point on the veins, dude. Um, that's one thing yes. that I really think that we I want to touch on just really, really, really quickly um, because you know a lot of times you know people will say, well, they heard my bow go off. They heard my bow go off. It it's possible, right? But these bows today, I mean, if you've got yourself a good bow and you and, and you've got it working well, and, right. and and it doesn't sound like a tuning fork going on going off. I, I, I don't believe an antelope at 75, 60, 50 is, is hearing a bow. What I believe they're hearing is the of the arrow coming down range. Yes, I agree. And when you go with super stiff, high, high profile veins, and, and, and I'm going to say something here and people are going to be like, well, it's the best selling vein of all time. Boning blazers are a great vein. They, they the, the 2.0s, but the problem with these veins is they stand up so tall on the shaft. They're super stiff, and they sound like a freaking freight train coming at you downrange. I've done testing with high-def microphones, so I'm going to tell you guys, if I were you, I would put a lower-profile um, lower vein, a little longer vein possibly with a little lower profile, something like a Silent Night, an AAE Hybrid 23 or 26. Um, one of those types of veins that's a little low pro, more low profile, it's going to quiet that arrow down significantly. So, yeah, look, that, that's just a – that's getting where we're splitting hairs. But sometimes on these things, you, you'll you find out if you hunt them long enough, you get to a point where you're splitting hairs. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. That That, that is the difference between – packing an antelope out and watching an antelope run into a dust cloud. Um, there's For the, sure. <laughs> there's For no sure. doubt. Okay, so we've got some gear put together. Now, let's break down an antelope season. What's kind of the three yeah. phases or four phases, however you want to break it down, of antelope hunting in kind of the seasons? And maybe during those kind of breakdowns, Jace, go ahead and give us your opinion on kind of like here's the generalized – Here's kind of how I, Jace, hunt these early season bucks. And then here's kind of yep. how I hunt the rut. And then we will dive into the three or four different ways and techniques that a guy can hunt antelope all throughout the year. But I want to break down the yeah. season because just like sure. elk, just like mule deer, just like whitetails, they've got breeding. They've got an early season. They've got a late season. You know, so let's break that down um, yeah. as our next step in this process. Sure. Sure. Well, the very first one, obviously, you have you have the early season, and a lot of archery seasons out west start, um, you know, as early as like the fifth, sixth, seventh. You know, some of them may be open now. I didn't check all of the different um, different dates this year because I didn't pull any other tags other than Colorado. But you know, mid August, we'll just say Colorado starts August fifteenth. August fifteenth is kind of a uh, an opener for for several places, but um, during that early August time frame, and when I say early August, I'm talking about whenever your season opens in August, till we'll call it the 
until the 31st of August, okay? Um, let's kind of classify this because I get a lot of people, they want to know specific dates, and I have done so much research. I've done so much trail camera work. I've logged in my journal. I have it sitting right here, um, days, times, things like that. So let's just say you're opener in August to the 31st. This is what I would consider the early season. There is not a ton of rut activity going on. You'll see some young bucks trying to bump does. You'll see some young bucks getting frisky, but those big dogs, they may be with some does, but they know. I mean, they're they're savvy. They're sage veterans. They know that the rut is a ways off. Um, so at this point, you need to look at, everybody will say water right away. Everybody says, well, water. Okay. Yes. Water is an amazing tactic all season. It's very good during the early season. During the early season, one of the things that makes water so effective is that in August, in a lot of places, temperatures are disgusting. It's too hot, man. And when you get a combination of too hot and drought conditions or people saying it's been so dry, Water should flash in your mind like the lights on the Vegas Strip. It should be freaking A, man. I am going to find the best water source, and that is my tactic. But you can't say water is your only early season tactic or you're really pigeonholing yourself because, like, in Colorado this year where I live, water is not going to be an option for a hot minute. But when I go out, I take a look at the terrain first and foremost. Um, when I'm hunting early season, early season antelope, I look at the terrain. Now here, we have a lot of what I call pancake flat ground. I mean, meaning it is ridiculously flat. They have all the advantage as far as visual, visual being able to see. But this year, what we have is we have prairie grass that is above my knee. I haven't seen it this tall in six, seven, eight years. We have sunflower patches that are over my head. We have weed patches. We have all these different things. So the topography of the landscape has changed greatly just because of the vegetation. And when I'm out there right now, I'm sitting, sitting here going, oh, baby, early season, it is spot and stock, and it is on, man. I'm going to be after these things. I'm not sitting in a 130-degree um, ground blind over a water source when they have six other water sources that they can hit and water on the ground because it rains every other day, I'm going to get out and I'm going to mix it up with them. So before you decide on an early season tactic, take a look at the terrain. It's not very hard to get out and understand, oh man, this place has had a lot of rain. This place is not. And if you are in a place where you're like, man, it's super dry, right? I mean, you're kicking up just massive amounts of dust on the prairie. It, the prairie's cracked and it's crumbly. And I mean, the grass looks like it's begging for a drink and um, antelope or loitering around watering holes. That is your typical drought-like conditions. Um, so if you can find the, the if you get those conditions and you can find the right water source, that water source, antelope hunting at that point becomes a very easy. I refer to it a lot as bear baiting. It is almost a certainty that if you place your blind right and you don't get stupid, you're going to kill a, a, a great buck coming to that particular water source. Um, now, then there's other situations too where water still may be in play, but there's been sporadic rains, or maybe there's a few different water sources in the area that they're hitting, then you're going to have to spend some time narrowing down 
which water source is the most popular and you're going to have to just commit to that water source and know that, man, I might sit here for a full 14 hour day and I might not have a goat come in because that day they went to that other water source that you didn't pick. But if you stay consistent and you stay the course, eventually that water source that you're on, as long as it's had goat traffic at some point and you've confirmed that, it's going to be used. So my main early season strategies are if it's, I mean, let's just simplify it. If it's dry or even semi-dry and I've got good water, boom, I'm a water hole hunter because I am an opportunistic hunter. I want to hunt uh, to be successful. I want to take what the what the terrain gives me, what the weather's given me, and put myself in the in, in the best situation. Um, my other early season tactic is if it's been very wet, very rainy, um, and there's vegetation up, or if the terrain just in general is more rolly, you'll find some places like that. Um, I'm going to get out and mix it up with them on the ground. So I've had great luck early season with water holes. I've had great luck early season with spot and stock. Now, one last thing I want to talk about early season that that you that you can try. I said early at the very beginning of this podcast that you've got to be a flexible antelope hunter. And don't be afraid during that early season. Uh, you're going to think I'm a, a little bit crazy here, but don't be afraid to use a decoy setup. And now when I say that, I say that in terms of don't expect to go out there with a bow mounted decoy or uh, a Montana decoy or something like that. Show a buck a decoy and have him boiling and come at you. It's probably not going to happen. But if antelope are very curious creatures, and I've done this the last couple of years during the early season, just for experimentation sake, more than anything else. And I've had pretty good luck with it. Um, I will go out and I will set up three or four Montana decoys. And I'll do this usually in the dark, or I'll do this in, in an area where antelope aren't, but I, my scouting has showed me that they are going to frequent. I will be there with three or four Montana um, doe decoy. Um, and I might even throw a, a small buck or two in there because at this time of the year, they're just intermingling. There's not a lot going on. And I'll create like a little um, a little flock, <laughs> if you will. Of course, it's a herd, but we, we, we make jokes about rocking out with our flock out. We just put um, multiple Montana decoys. We'll put a 3D buck out there. And we will put on Ultimate Predator uh, stalker decoys on our bows. And we will literally create a mini herd out in the middle of the prairie. And, buddy, I'm telling you, if you are in the right spot where they want to be and they don't see you obviously put this up and they show up and arrive in an area and they look over there and go, oh, my gosh, there's 9, 10, 11 antelope over there. There's a good chance that if you stay patient and the wind doesn't get you, they're going to get curious and wander into bow range, especially a buck. Um, we've had does right inside of our decoy spread um, in the very early season. Um, but decoy tactics, that one will work um, during the early season. So uh, that's a lot of information, but it's good information. It will work, and that's how I approach the early season. Perfect. Early season, in my opinion, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot to be held there because it's a great time for guys to get kind of the bugs worked out before mule deer and elk season start. You can go hunt antelope. Absolutely. You're going to get a lot of stocks. You're going to get a lot of plays. If you hunt over water, you're probably going to get some opportunities. You're, pro you know, it's going to give you an opportunity to kind of get a pre-game or kind of like get, you know, I guess you could call it like the bugs worked out. 
you know, it's kind of like your preseason in a way for maybe some other hunts that you've got coming up. Um, so I love to hunt that early season. And, and I think, you know, everything you touched on there, blinds, um, decoys, spot and stock, you know, the, the whole gamma there, yeah. all those can be super effective. Now, working outside of early season, and we're starting to head now mm-hmm. in towards that rut. Right. Where do things change there, Jace? Because that is yeah. a that is a very different style. And so so I've killed two goats early, and then I've killed another goat during the rut. Um, and on mm-hmm. that hunt, I was hunting with a bow during rifle season, and yeah. that was <laughs> interesting in itself. But the rut sure. um, <laughs> is a totally different. Oh, it's man. a totally different ordeal. It's fun, but Ooh. but it is a way different. You can go from seeing a bazillion antelope early to hunting for two days and hardly ever seeing any antelope during the rut if you're not in the right spot or you're not using yeah. the right techniques. So let's talk. Yeah, it's kind of the second phase, which would be like the rut, mm-hmm. uh, pre-rut yep. into the rut. What's the tactics? What are you doing? Yeah. How are you finding success? Because that can be a time frame where it can kind of make or break you if you don't really know antelope and their behavior that well. Um, so I want you to try to portray as much as you can about yeah. antelope during that time of the year so people can kind of get a good understanding of what they're doing, why they're doing it. It's just like whitetails, mule sure. deer, elk. They do certain sure. things during the rut. And if you're not Ahead of the game, you're usually way behind. Absolutely, man. So let's let's go back to dates again because I want people to listen to this podcast and go, man, this dude actually gave um, dates. Now, I'm not saying that these dates are set in stone, um, but I will tell you that I'm sitting here, like I said, and I'm holding my journal that's got literally thousands of entries now. Um, it, it's just ridiculous. And, and, and so – Here's what I'll tell you. So we went August, whatever your August opener was, to the 31st of August. So now let's go September 1 to September 10. Okay, let's just go September 1 to September 10. Now, this is where things do start to change, right? Um, It gets those – it can be super hot still, but your temperatures will be less extreme. You're going to get some really cool mornings, and you're going to start to see – a change in antelope behavior. Um, those big lone bucks will be getting closer. They may by September one, they may not be with their herd, but buddy, they're going to know where the ladies are now. So they may have had a pasture that they were keeping to themselves, and then that pasture, boom, ghost town. They're two pastures over because now it's time to go make their presence known. Let the ladies know that the kingpin's here, and send a message to all those little scrapper bucks that boys. Highs over. Welcome to the show. Um, and so you have to be in the know of those types of things. Um, in addition to that, you also need to make sure um, that you have an understanding that, um, you know, bachelor groups are going to start dispersing. You may have had a herd of 12, 13 bucks that were like, oh my gosh, I can go out and fiddle with these guys whenever I want. They'll start dispersing. They'll start breaking up. You might get a few scrappers that hang together, but pay attention to 
the, the distribution. As antelope, as groups start to shrink, as herds start to form, as this buck that was so consistent in this pasture is now four pastures over. And how do you know these things? Well, you have to be out there. And this is, goes back to one of those gear choices I talked about. You need to spend a lot of time behind your glass. Because here's the beautiful thing about antelope hunting. And I want everybody to know this. You can see them. You're going to see them. They can't hide from you all day long. If you get out there, and I will tell you, as an elk hunter, I'm a backcountry guy. I want to be off the beaten path. I want to be antelope. I'm a mobile guy. I want to be near my four-wheeler. I want to be near my truck because that's my best tool to get miles and miles and miles and check miles and miles and miles of country a day. So you're going to want to spend a lot of time driving. You're going to want to spend a lot of time glassing, and you're going to want to start to to, 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 you'll notice that there's a change that starts to happen. Now, my hunting techniques also start to change because with a change in habits come a change in hunting techniques. Water, though, guys and, and, and gals, it, it's always in play, okay? If you find a hot water source and it's one of those, like, this should be too easy, it's going to be too easy, go kill that buck on that water hole. Please do it. Um, so always keep that in mind no matter what time of year. But right now what you're going to start to see is you're going to start to see some chasing go on. You're going to be driving and you're going to see uh, a larger buck run off a smaller buck. And he might not chase him into the next zip code, but he'll run him over a couple of hills. He'll come jogging back by the does. Um, you might see a bigger buck go up and start smelling and sniffing and bumping on a few does. Nothing crazy, but he's letting you know that, hey, these are my ladies. Um, this is my herd. And when I start seeing some aggression, when I start seeing bucks chase and I start seeing bucks want to tickle horns and lock up and push each other around a little bit, right then a, a switch in my brain flips because now decoying can start to become effective and not the whole flock of decoys like I was talking about in the early season. Now I'm talking about, you know, um, I still like to take a 3D type antelope decoy out with me. Um, and, and, and there is not a lot of full body 3D antelope decoys on the market. In fact, good luck finding one. What I do is I take a flambeau, I paint it with spray paint, um, and and then I take some old antelope. I've taken some old antelope horns that I've that I've you know bucks that I've shot. That I'm just like I'm going to take these horns, taking the caps off, built a little post out of arrows. Boom, stuck those in, and I turned a flambeau doe decoy into a pronghorn buck decoy. So you know that's something to to keep in mind. I like that 3D, and then I like having a stalker decoy on my bow. Um, it just gives me more cover. It gives me more room to draw, but. I'll start looking for that buck that has a bad attitude because just like people, there's going to be a couple bucks even during this early season that are like, buddy, I'm ready. I mean, I'm going to let you know from the start that you don't want to be here if you're a younger buck. If I see that type of aggression from a buck, I'm going to make a move on that particular buck with the expectation during this time of year that I might not get that ridiculous charge, but I might get him to wonder back and forth and get him curiosity curiosity enough and his testosterone starting to rise where he's going to take a few steps, jog in a little bit and give me um, an opportunity. So decoying really becomes uh, in play at this time. Also, my spot and stock techniques change a little bit where I will start looking at an interception. And that's what I call it is I will watch a buck that's half-hearted. And I call him half-hearted because they're a mature buck, but they'll run 
a little buck away from their does just far enough for me to slip in between the does and that buck and get his route of travel predicted where he's coming back and intercept him as he's coming back to his does. Now, usually that's also a great decoy scenario, but I'll do that on those half-hearted bucks, those bucks that I know that like, man, or maybe I've tried them and they just paid, wanted nothing to do with the decoy. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to show them the decoy again. They want to run off a live buck. They want to trot him out there and push him out there four or 500 yards. Boom. I'm going to use the topography. I'm going to try to slip between them and I'm going to take a shot at that I'm choosing one of his routes coming back to his ladies and give myself an opportunity to put myself in the mix to make a stock from that point or just have him walk right by me because the pronghorns start to get a lot more active at this time of year. Also, you should be out there. Now, if you're in a ground blind, you got to commit from dawn to dark, but if you're spotting and stocking during the early season, it's like, eh, it gets so hot, these goats will lay down for extended periods. Right now, testosterone's rising, girls are stri- starting to smell right, and the weather's starting to cool, which means, boom, more time on feet, which means you need to be out there putting in more work to earn that one opportunity. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com WCB. That's mintmobile.com slash WCB. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash WCB. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. So what we need to find during this time frame is we want to find Billy Badass. Basically, we want to walk yep. into the bar. We want to look yep. for the this guy. This is your time to kill the biggest, baddest dude out there. Yep. So we're walking into a bar, and we just feel like, you know what? I want to get in a fight. Who am I going to pick? Okay. Is it the is it the guy over there that's on his phone? No, it's not that guy. Is it the guy over there shooting pool? Mm, maybe, but maybe not. Ooh, 
that guy over there, the guy that's shooting whiskey with the cutoff sleeves, with all the tattoos. He's got the hat on backwards. He's, right? he's right? talking with his hands. He's loud. That's our guy right there. We yeah. want to walk over. I, I looked at his girl for just a yes. second, and he yes. stopped. The world stopped, and he looked like he was yes. going to come put his fist in my face. Yes. Bingo. You're, you're Winner, winner. Bingo. Okay, you. so that's the guy we want to go over. We want to accidentally but on purpose shoulder check him and then look at him like it's his fault and that's going to strike up the immediate initial reaction of hey pal that was your fault no bud i'm not saying i'm sorry what are you going to do about it and now chaos has been created we now have a bar fight so basically ladies and gentlemen jace is telling you find the buck that resembles billy badass in the bar and that is the buck you want to target if you're going to go on a decoy set, because that buck with the aggression and that buck with that kind of quote unquote Billy Badass demeanor, you probably do have a great chance of getting him to come over and quote unquote want to thump your ass as in the decoy because yep. he's already pissed off that you're even in his area. So th- to me, the way you explain it, Jace, it's a great way to look at it, and, and this is just going to kind of add a little more of a fun flavor to it by using the bar scene as an example, but it's really the truth. You know, you want to look for Billy Badass out there, and like you said, Jace, those dominant bucks will let you know by their demeanor that they're the dominant buck. You can tell by the way they walk, posture. Yeah. Yep. They don't have that oh, hey, I'm just out here feeding on grass. No, they're walking around with their head high, their chest out. They've got that gant to them where it's like, hey, I run this side of the prairie, and any other buck that comes over, I will go to you and meet you and let you know, watch it, pal, or I'll pop you right Right. in your teeth. That's the buck that you want to target, especially with the decoy game. Now, go ahead, go ahead. Well, and with the remembrance too, as as you do this, that that buck that is that that is the Billy Badass buck, you, you you need to remember too that that might not also be the the biggest buck out there. Right, right. Right. I mean, that's something. Now, is he going to be a mature buck that you'd be happy to happy to to to, to put your tag on? Absolutely. But not every big stud buck that's going to break 80 is a warrior it's just it's just how it is you're looking for that buck it's all based on his attitude and it's all based on his demeanor and yes you're not going to get a lot of little scrappers out there acting like a kingpin right now but you might get a 70 inch goat or a 68 inch goat that is a very respectable that is a very respectable goat especially during this time of year trying to really assert himself as 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 mr big time um, so that's that's definitely something to keep in mind um, when you're thinking about that too. Yes, absolutely. No, that's a great way to put it. And you know, um, I have seen in that mid-September, I killed my best goat to date in Montana, and it was, I believe, like the twelfth, thirteenth, somewhere in there. Okay, so my favorite day. We're not there yet, but my favorite day to hunt antelope. <laughs> We're going to get to that is, is the, is the 12th. Well, the 12th, I got really lucky and killed like an 80. I think he's 80, 81 inches. Um, yeah, I've seen him. Yeah. (laughs) Rub it in. I got, I got really lucky, found this buck, um, and, and, and made a really good 
stock and, and just honestly, like everything had to fall into place. Stars had to align, but they did made a great shot, got him killed, but he was all by himself at that point. Now he had run off three other smaller bucks earlier that day. And they were like 60 inchers that kind of had little man syndrome. They had kind of postured him up a little bit. And they sort of challenged him kind of like, hey, I'm going to stand my ground. And the second he saw that, he took off. That'll do it. (laughs) Oh, he pinned his ears and he stomped and he took off. And I mean, all three of them, he was begging for someone to stop because he was going to kick everyone's ass. I mean, it was very obvious that he absolutely was not going to tolerate anybody standing their ground per se. Um, so I found him all by himself later on that day and I knew, you know, okay, well, chances are there's probably not any other antelope around right now because they're all afraid of this guy. So that helped me out. Um, that kind of, you know, helped on this stock that I, I, I couldn't see the entire place I was going to have to go to, to kill this buck, but I had a feeling there probably wasn't any other antelope around because he wasn't with the doe and he wasn't letting any bucks get close to him. I'd already witnessed that. So it's something to keep in mind. These super dominant bucks, if they're not with a doe during this time of the year, they're probably going to be alone, which is great for a spot and stock scenario or a decoy scenario. Because yep. you probably aren't going to have a bunch of other antelope around him. This th- this cat did not like anybody playing anywhere close to his litter box. Um, so just food for thought yes. there. But great, okay. great food for thought too. And okay. one other thing, I just I yep. know we, I want to add to this just right quick. Um, just two things, real quick. Um, number one, also, y- you know, during this time, you're going to see a lot of respectable bucks. Right, and this goes back to your goals as as being a realistic uh, a bow hunter. Um, you're going to see a lot of respectable bucks. Now, when I say respectable, uh, for me personally, that's that you're starting to get your big boy pants on when you crack about 65, 66 inches. Okay, you're a respectable buck, and you might see you well, not might you will see several loner bucks, and that's always a big mystery. I get a lot of questions about that. Like, well, I keep seeing a couple this buck. He's a loner. He's by himself, and he's Basically, what that buck is, is it's like a satellite bull in, in, at this time of year. He's within striking distance of the herd, and he's just waiting for a doe to wander over or waiting for this. For, he, he's smart. He's played the game before, and he's seen, seen, the, seen the movie. He's waiting for Mr. Big to run uh, another buck miles because they will run them miles. We're going to get to that. And his chance to go, ooh, baby, I'm going to slip in there and I'm going to try to to, 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 to to make magic real quick while I got a minute. These bucks are very, very decoyable. They're decoyable with a small buck decoy because they think, ooh, all right, I, I'm sick of having my butt. I, I know I can take you. But one thing I would highly suggest on a lone, lone mature buck is a doe decoy at this time of year. Sometimes it can just be poison, man. They just are like, oh, there she is. I want to hook up with her right now. Um, I have had some great reactions going after those lone style bucks with a doe decoy. Um, and something else I've been doing the last couple of years, and this is a this is something a lot of people will go, man, that's outside the box. Well, if you want to kill a lot of antelope with your bow, you, you've got to go against established norms. You've got to step outside the box. And what I wear now, 
<laughs> I wear my Sitka pants, and it's always subalpine, and I wear a white long sleeve shirt when I am decoying. Now, the only time I wear that white long sleeve shirt is when I'm decoying, because when I am behind a decoy, white is a, as a color antelope seem to react to. The old timers talk about days when they'd lure them in with white flags and stuff like that. I, I mean, I have just... Wearing white behind a decoy with lots of white already on it, um, their butts are white. They have white all over them. It is just kind of a color that – I don't know how it relates to their eyesight, but it's it's not as alarming to them. It just helps you blend in, especially when you go to draw and things like that. So get yourself a breathable mesh long-sleeve white T-shirt. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm promising you it will pay off. There it is. There's a free pro tip that Jace is giving <laughs> free, out. That's a free, that's a free, free pro one. tip that somebody's going to go try and go, that dumb ass. <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> that's what's coming. <laughs> there's a free. And then I'm going to get the email. <laughs> there's a free pro tip that you can only get right here on the CC Hunt Files with my man, Jace. Now, disclaimer, if that doesn't work, um, you you did something wrong um, and and you need to not. Jace doesn't want emails. Yes, he doesn't want direct (laughs) messages. He doesn't want to post on Instagram that he's tagged in talking about what an idiot he is. Um, Obviously, your your white shirt wasn't white enough or it was too white or it wasn't long-sleeved or I I don't know, but you did something wrong. Probably straight cotton, which just won't work. It has to be polyester. Yes. I mean – yes. Get the right shirt, first of all. Get the right shirt. (laughs) Okay. Going, going so into the moving, right. Yes, going into the next phase, Jace. Continue on. Um, th- th- this is great, man. We're we're gaining we're gaining ground here. We're working through the season. No, we're doing good. Yes, yes, we're doing good. So this is gravy. This is this is my favorite time of year to hunt pronghorn. Right. So now we went from August. Just to recap, we went August fifteen or whenever your season opened in August to August thirty one. Um, then we went from September one to. Let's just say, like we said, roughly September 10. Now we've got September 10 to the closure of your archery season. And this window right here is magic. And this window for me, this is what makes me not want to go elk hunting and stay here and hunt pronghorn. And I know a lot of you are listening to this and going, oh, bull crap. I promise you, if you know me, (laughs) I have given up some really good elk hunting days to come decoy pronghorn because I just am absolutely fascinated with them. And this is a special window. And it's hard because if you're a Western guy, for most people, elk trump. It's just the way it is. And anything after September 10th is usually a banger of an elk time. Well, it's also a banger of an antelope time. So you got to kind of pick and choose. But during this frame time frame, September 10th to the end of your season, this is when I go into strict, basic, strict decoy mode. I am spending way more, way less time on my feet and way more time in my truck, UTV, whatever you have that you're allowed to drive out there. And I am covering country and I am looking for, I am chasing jet streams. I call them jet streams because when you look in the air and you see a plane that's gone by, four hours ago or two hours ago, there's a jet stream. There's just this line of white. And that's what it looks like on the prairie. You are chasing jet streams, except they're being made by pronghorn. They are trails of dust just boiling up on the prairie. And they'll hang in the air, and you'll just be like, what is that? 
that is a buck that is going balls to the walls, chasing does, chasing other bucks. There is a lot going on. And when you get to an area and you see this and you see a buck running this way and a buck running that way and does scrambling around like, I don't know what to do. Somebody's coming for me. They, they almost look frightened and scared. There's so much going on. My gracious, it's time to kill. And it's time to make a bold move. It's time to get super aggressive. It's time to throw out all the passive tactics that you've had to utilize up to this point. Now it's time to go, man, I've got the decoy on my on my bow, or I'm using a Montana, or I'm using whatever style decoy you want to use. Buck only right now, my opinion, I'm, I'm going to go buck only um, to press his threshold. Um, I'm going to go in there and mix it up with him. But again, I'm still not throwing, because you'll still find bucks. You, you, you're, you can't be driving around out there and go, oh, there's a buck. Jay said it's September 12th, and that buck's standing there eating, dozer around him. There's two other bucks within 200 yards of him. Move on. Unless you want to try to stalk him, I don't even give that buck a look. I don't even stop to look at him through my binoculars because his attitude is not right for what I'm looking for or what it should be. So I know that if I go another mile or another two miles, I'm going to find one that does have the attitude. I am finding one that now is not running a buck off, trotting at him you know, a little bit and running him over the next ridge. He is running full tilt, circles, figure eights, just blazing him across the prairie, running you know, under fences and pushing that buck sometimes miles away and leaving his does for what can be an extended period of time, which allows you to beat feet. I will run and, and, and I will run even sometimes if the does can see me because they're so confused by what's going on. I get ultra aggressive and I get where I know once that dominant buck pushes that other buck off far enough where he's like, yeah, don't do that again, baby. And then starts jogging or trotting and sometimes just walking back to his harem of does. I'm the next thing he sees that just pisses him off. I am the next dude. I'm the next buck that's, that said, hey, I watched you run my other buddy Frank six miles now. Guess what? I'm here between you and your does. What are you going to do? And he's going to come like he was shot out of a cannon. You might as well just freaking draw your bow because – unless the wind is wrong, unless something is just, unless the does did get squirrely and you were just too over aggressive and they bolted, you put yourself in a crazy situation. Um, when, when, when pronghorn are running and scrambling and chasing, even though the country is more open, obviously than elk, you have to look at it with that mentality. When I get two big bulls or two bulls, raghorns, I should say big bulls. I'm not a big bull killer. I'm an any bull killer. Um, when I get two bulls banging heads and I can hear them clacking or I can see them, I, forget cover, forget stealth. I'm going at them and closing distance as quick as I can because they don't give a crap. It's the same thing when two, three, four bucks are chasing each other around. They don't give a crap. I have been walking out in the middle of bald prairie and had and not known they were there and had two bucks almost run me over and then run circles around me. I mean, just right there, I shot the, 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 the main buck. I'm standing up, and they're running within bow range. And finally, the one buck realized, oh, the big buck realized, man, there's a dude. There's something standing here. He stopped. You know, he's panting. Boom, zipped him. Done. Um, so keep those things in mind. Now it's time to get aggressive. Now it's time to decoy. 
And if you don't feel comfortable with that, if you're like, man, I just, that sounds like a lot. It is, it is a lot. And that's why I do it. It's super intense. It's super fun. But also, again, I said this several times during this podcast, let's not forget about water. Okay. So at this time of year, if that just sounds like, man, that's going to blow my mind. I'm not going to be able to keep my crap together. That just sounds too intense. Um, great. Go find the nearest water to where a rut fest is happening and shoot your buck there because now water becomes more of a premium. When bucks and does are chasing and running and breeding and fighting and doing all these things, they drink more regularly. Your water hole that you hoped was visited once during a 14-hour day during August, though it might be a different water hole, might get visited 25 times during September 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 24th, whatever. So don't think water's out of play right now. But it's time to get aggressive. It's time to get bold. And it's really, really time to get after it. This is the window that I really love. This is the window that I really wait for. Um, so keep, keep that... Um, Keep that in mind during this time. It's, 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 it's a very aggressive time. Testosterone is peaked. Breeding is happening. Chasing is going on. And you just got to get out there and, you know, be a pronghorn out there with, you know, with a, you, you've got to be a, be the decoy. You know, you've got to have um, a decoy with you and be out there and, and good things are going to happen for you. Now, Jace, how important is the wind on stocks mm. or decoying or water good holes? Good um, question. Is it as important with antelope, in your opinion, as it is, like, say, mule deer, elk, whitetails? Is it no. not? Like, what's no, what's? Give us not. a breakdown of so, your philosophy there. So, water holes, right? Here, here's what I'm gonna tell you about water holes. I always want to play the predominant wind in the area. Here in Colorado, our winds September are typically, unless we get a cold front, are typically south or east or a mixture of two: east, southeast, or southeast. So, I always set up my ground blinds obviously with the wind in my, in my face. Um, so keep, keep that in mind, but a lot goes on around, uh, and about what I can accredit to is because I have been busted in the ground blind by, I got busted uh, last year. Um, I have had goats smell me, but it's few and far between. Cause here's what happens at those water, water holes. Um, cattle pee at them all the time. Coyotes pee at them all the time. Rancher pulls up. He's there all the time. He's taking a piss. Um, there's all kinds of different smells and things around these water holes. Um, so I just, man, I, I've had, I've shot kingpin bucks just with the wind blowing out of my ground blind straight into their face and they never batted an eye. Um, I will try to follow some scent routines, but don't go crazy, guys. Don't waste your time because of the heat that's going to be magnified inside of that ground blind. And the walk in there, you're going to sweat. You're going to perspire. I don't care if you get down to your undies. You are going to sweat. So um, an ozonics unit, I've done it. Um, you know, I, I, I do believe it works. I believe in the unit. But, um, you know, it's not, it's not a must. Now, when I'm spotting and stalking during the early season or any – of course, I'm always trying to keep the wind in my favor. But during this time, I if, – if, if they're going bananas, forget it. I'm not even worried about it. I, I, <laughs> I just go – if I see a buck that's chasing hard, I don't waste time trying to get the wind right on that buck. He's just, he, his cup run, has run over, right? He can't stand it anymore. He is at that point where it is breed, 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 fight, fight, fight. Um, and I, I just, you know, 
that so so that's a good question. I play the wind when I can, but it's not the it's not the end all be all like it is with whitetails, elk, and some other animals. What is the end all be all is they see you um, <laughs> if they see you and they don't like what they see, you're done. Now I will say spotting and stalking if you're careful. I have had goats see me. But I'm keeping such a low profile in the grass. I'm keeping such a low profile on my approach that sometimes I have had goats walk right to me because they're like, they're relying on their eyes, one, and their speed, two, to go, I'm going to get up there to a point, and if I don't like this, boom, I'm out. Um, now, it's possible to get drawn in that situation. So I've gotten really excited before. And I'm like, this fuck's walking right at me. He sees me, and he's He's walking right at me. Yeah, he's walking right at me, and he gets to 50, 40. I've had him close as 30, and you try to get inched up and drawn, and I've had a few of them stand there and wear it. But most of the time, that's going to be a very low percentage chance to get drawn from a spot and stock situation when you don't have a decoy on your boat. So, you know, that's that's a little something to keep in mind there. But um, wind, you know, I play it when I can, but it's not, it's not the end-all be-all. Love that explanation, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Something else I want to cover real quick. Okay, a lot of antelope hunting that you do is with decoys. That means mm-hmm. there could be some different shot angles here on these suckers than what oh, we might have on a whitetail or a mule deer. Yep. Um, this is similar to yep. elk. Okay, give us a breakdown of shot angles. Mm-hmm. The 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 yes do that, yeah. no do the, the excuse mm-hmm. me the yes do that <laughs> and the no. Hell no, don't do those. Um, yep. Give us a breakdown kind of of your philosophy there. Sure. So what you're going to be surprised by if you have not seen an antelope on the ground is how small they are. Uh, even a big bruiser buck. Um, they look monstrous standing out there on the prairie because there's nothing in the in the background most of the time to give them any scale to show how like small they actually are. So your target is is small. So for me, you know, full frontal is basically, a, a, it's a no-fly zone for me. Um, there's not enough there. Um, I mean, the, the width across is so small. Now, if I've got them, if I've got them 20 yards and under, I, I can smash them face and straight on. But what I'm saying is that's, that's just a really, really low percentage shot. Um, obviously, I like broadside. I like quartering away. Now, when you are using a decoy, this is where you have to exercise some self-control because a lot of times what's going to happen is that buck's going to come into the decoy and he's going to face that decoy, right? He wants to face him because that's how they do. He's facing him, letting him know, hey, man, here I am. What are you going to do? So at that point, when he's facing head on, you have to remember when you have a decoy on your boat, that that dominant buck or the buck that's come to that decoy is expecting some sort of reaction from what he believes buck. So he's expecting some sort of a reaction. So when you are able to the bow straight out in front of you and you can just draw straight back and not create a bunch of unnecessary movement, meaning your draw weight is in check, meaning you're not trying to be Hercules and you don't have to point your bow up at the sky or down at the ground. You can come back in one fluid motion, much like we've talked about with turkeys. The reaction of that buck is going to be like kind of holding his ground. He may stomp at you. He may may blow at you a little bit. But if you are are patient, what's going to happen is that buck's going to stomp. 
And then he's going to turn and he's going to either turn and quarter away from you and look back towards his does, or he's just going to gaze off into the horizon like, what's going on here? And give you that broadside shot and that's when you thump him. Um, so try to resist that, that full frontal. Um, if you're patient, you can wait for, you know, he's going to give you, he's going to give you that quartering away or he's going to give you that broadside. Any quartering away, any broadside, even a quartering two, as long as it's not ultra hard, you're going to blow through that scapula. Just don't go, you know, just don't get too tight to the shoulder because you've got a lot of, you've got, you know, quartering two, you're going to blow through that scapula. Worst case scenario, if you're, you know, if you're confident in your equipment, you're going to hit the liver, blow out the guts on the offside. He's going to expire very, very, very quickly. It's a very lethal shot. So, um, you know, of course, we always want to keep angles in mind, but know that when you're decoying, you're going to get a lot of moments of full frontal and you're going to think, oh my gosh, I should just shoot because I'm not, he's not going, he, he's, you've won the game. He's, he's taking you on as a, as, 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 as an intruder. He's taking you on as another buck. So now all you have to do is exercise kind of what we talked about in, in, in the mule deer podcast yesterday. You've got to exercise some self-control. You've got to exercise some patience. You've done all this work. You've got to this point. Now let him make the mistake. Let him, you know, turn to look back at his does, quartering away, zip. And for some reason, I don't know what they're looking at, but most of the time they'll just turn completely broadside and just gaze out on the prairie like, man, I'm, I don't know what I'm looking at. And boom, there's your broadside. Game's over. You've done everything right. Um, so, so full frontal is it's, it's just, let's just call it a no fly zone. I just don't love it on, on, on a speed goat. Nope. I like that. It makes that, that, uh, that makes sense. So for all you guys out there that aren't shooting 90 pound limbs with 748 grain arrows <laughs> with yeah. 92% FOC, um, and, and, you know, 180 extra added grains of a collar up front. Um, if you're not that guy frontal is probably not going to be your shot. No, I like that. that. That makes a lot of sense. And, um, okay. So we have ran through the gauntlet here of antelope, but I've got to hit you as I always like to do with a couple rapid yeah. fire it's questions here. I know my favorite, my favorite. I part. know this is the, the you, you, favorite you, part. you always do. Uh, you, you always have been probably my most <laughs> energetic guest over the ending. Uh, when I do some rapid fires and I don't do it with everybody, yeah. but it's, it's always fun to hit you with a couple. So, Okay, right out of the chute, um, you can pick. You got to pick one. You can either spot and stalk antelope with your bow the rest of your life, or you can decoy them for the rest of your life. You got to pick one. Gosh, I don't like to play anymore. <laughs> Pass. Uh, you know, man, I'm gonna spot and stalk. And I know I probably talked less about spot and stock than, than the decoying just because I want people to experience more success. But for me now, in, in some aspects, it's just about the challenge of can I stalk in close with nothing but using the terrain, my stalking skills on North America's fastest land animal. Can I do that? So would I say that that's, you know, that, that's your lowest percent. I want everybody to hear that that is, unless the stars all align and the terrain is perfect, that is your lowest percentage chance of harvesting an antelope is by way of spot and stock. But for me, it's the challenge. For me, it's getting my teeth kicked in. For me, it's watching the 20th diaper butt in three days blazing away from me with cactus stuck in my arms and and, and close encounters with rattlesnakes and tarantula wasps and, 
everything else out there that's so wonderful that time of year. Um, but when you do do it and you run an arrow through one, the sense of accomplishment that I feel when I spot and stock an, an antelope and harvest that antelope um, is is kind of second to none really for me in bow hunting. So if I had to do one technique for the rest of my life and only utilize that technique, it would be spot and stock. And another reason why is you can do spot and stock from the opener till it closes. It, it, you know, will weather help? Sure. Will, 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 will overcast days be better? Yes. Will shadows casted by clouds help? Absolutely. Um, but you can spot and stock antelope in a torrential downpour. You can spot and stock them on bluebird days. You, it, it's one of those techniques that you can go, I always have this and I can always go to this. So that's why it would be my, my go-to. I like it. Okay. Most underrated piece of equipment for antelope hunting. So the, the, the thing that people may not think of or they, mm-hmm. they think of, but they don't really put a ton of thought <laughs> into it. Okay, perfect. Go. The easy one. Tweezers. A good ah, yep. tweezers mm-hmm. because I promise you, you're going to get cactus in places you don't want it and <laughs> you're going to get it in your thigh. You're going to get it in your butt. You're going to get it in your, you know, I mean, your hands are pretty much protected because you should be wearing some sort of quality leather gloves. Do I always do it? No. Um, do I preach it? Yes. Um, but you're going to get cactus in you. And the last thing you want is to break that spine off because it is going to get infected. It's going to annoy you. Your clothes are going to rub on it. And every time something ticks it, it's going to tick the nerve that it's by or the nerves that it's by and let you know that it's there. And it makes for a very uncomfortable sleeping at night. It makes for a very uncomfortable experience. So I get a quality, quality, quality pair of tweezers. Um, and, uh, a pair of tweezers that aren't just going to snap that spine in half. And I get as low and close to the skin as possible, grab the spine and I have them instantly. They're in my, but they're in my, um, my binocular case. They're right there in the front compartment. Um, I'll just slip in there. Boom. That cactus is coming out. I've learned that over time. Get a good quality pair of tweezers. Probably not what people were expecting to hear, but that, there, there's another pro tip for you. Another free pro tip. And if you pinch yourself mm. or you 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 rip your skin out, um, please don't again me. don't email Jace. <laughs> um, don't go kill his chickens. Uh, don't don't try to shoot his no, horse. My you wife know, will just freak out. Yeah. Okay. Freak out. Last question. This is going to be a tough one. All right. So it's September fifteenth. You've got a 380-inch 6x7 roaring on the top of a mountain. He's screaming at another bull. And then you've got an 81-inch antelope over here chasing a bunch of 65-inch bucks with little man syndrome. Where are you going with your bow? Are you heading right up the mountain to go chase the 380 bull? Or are you heading left to go over here and deal, deal with Billy Badass who's running all the little man syndrome bucks off? What's it, what's it going to be? It's going to chase Billy Badass running all the little bucks off the, the 80 inch bucks. Man, people, I mean people are going to think you. Oh, people, I know you mean will, it. But people have seen. Yep. People, people have seen. My friends that are just diehard elk hunters have seen me leave an elk hunt because I'm like, guys, I love you, but I can't stand what I know is going on at home. I have to go chase my bucks. And it's to each their own. And I think that's something that makes bow hunting great. I think that's something that makes yep. life great in general is that. I don't worry about what somebody else would say is like, oh my gosh, he just can't hack it up here in the hills and he's, you know, he's got to be a flatlander and he's got to be down there. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Um, 
what I love as a bow hunter. And I know for me, there's just a sense of being out. I, I mean, I'm, I am a flatlander. I am a Western flatlander. I, I, I love the plains. I love the prairie. It's where I cut my bow hunting teeth. These animals are super special to me. And if I get a chance, a crack at one that is just a gagger, um, that 380 is going to have to wait um, <laughs> because I, I, I just, I, I don't know why. It's just, um, I love them. I mean, I love everything about them. They are kind of, in my opinion, the symbol of the American West. They are iconic. They're gorgeous. You won't find a prettier mount on the wall. Their meat. Don't let people fool you with this. Oh, so good. So good. It's freaking fantastic. You don't want it. So good. Go ahead and email me. Yep. Email me. I'll pay for the shipping. There you go. Pay pay for the flash freezing. As long as you took care of it. Yep. We could do a whole other podcast on meat care with pronghorn when it's hot. Um, But yeah, man, I'm going to go do that. There it is. Well, Jace. Send us off here. Give us all your info. Where can people follow you? If yeah. you're not following Jace Boserman, you damn well should be. The guy kills it uh, on the streets and on the mountains with his feet. He's an ultra runner. The guy runs 50s and 100s and, and does all this crazy stuff that I'll be honest with you. I don't know how he enjoys it, but he does. He loves it. I like to follow along. Uh, and then in the in the bow hunting world, the guy's a badass there. And then, you know, uh, I've got to know Jace's wife and kids, and I've become very close with the whole family and man it's just it's it's been fun to follow you for years and years and, and become best friends with you and can't thank you enough for for coming on and and just being a good buddy and but yeah if you're not following jace you need to be following him so jace where can people find you where can they read some of your stuff give us the breakdown and the rundown because i want people to go and follow you man because you live a fun life you love what you do and you do what you love and, and that's super important in today's world for people to see other people chasing and living their dreams because you're just a blue collar dude like me out doing what you love what you love to do and you found a way to make a little bit of money disclaimer um jace and i make a little bit of money um doing what we love to do in the bow hunting world here by no means are, are i'm going to speak for jace too well we're not millionaires we're not rich by any means when it comes to money value but we are rich in we we do what we love and we love what we do so there it is there's my spiel Absolutely. I love that. Um, yeah. So I want to help people. That's, uh, just kind of my nature. Um, I was a, I was a fifth grade, you know, I taught fifth grade for nine years before I went full-time into the outdoor writing game and been doing that for 15, 16 years. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so my, my natural inclination is a teacher. So if anybody has any questions, if you're going on a pronghorn hunt, if you have bow questions, I, I really try to answer any questions that I get. And that's, pretty much strictly through, uh, Instagram. Um, so if you, um, it's just Jace, uh, at Jace underscore Boserman on Instagram, uh, follow me there, send me a message. I'll do my best to get back to you in a timely manner. Um, that's, that's, that's one area. Um, also something else, uh, I have a patron account. Uh, that's just something you can go, go look at it's patron. Just type my name, just go to patron.com. I think it is. I don't even have it up. Uh, type my name in there. It's going to bring it up. Um, Clint and I are actually going to be doing some stuff together with that um, quite possibly. So that's, that's another way. Um, But as far as, um, you know, publications and stuff like that, uh, Peterson's bow hunting is kind of um, the epicenter, I guess, for, for my main features and stuff like that. But I write for everybody. I write for field and stream. I write for outdoor life. I write for, um, shoot on i write for a platform that i'm very passionate about that we're just getting off the ground called born hunting if you guys get a chance go check that out clint is a regular contributor on there for us uh it's bornhunting.com um uh give that a go 
Um, you know, I write for North American Whitetail, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Bowhunter, the list goes on. Um, but yeah, if you want to communicate with me directly, uh, Instagram and Patreon are uh, the two best ways to do that. I'm not very active on Facebook. I just run out of time. I don't have anything against the platform. I just run out of time. I'm not a TikToker or a Snapchatter. Um, but uh, yeah, Instagram and, and I'd love to love to interact, love to help. Um, and one thing, you know, I'll close with is uh, if, if you're considering an antelope hunt, please do it. Um, and, and whether you're considering it as like, man, this is, you know, I did it, but I want to do it again. Or should I go and do it? The answer is yes, because here's what I'm going to tell you. A lot of guys that come west for the first time, and I kind of want to close with this. A lot of guys that come west for the first time, what do they want to hunt? They want to go after elk. Naturally, they're big. They've got awesome antlers. They're bold. They speak. They scream. They wallow in mud. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Public land elk hunting is, um, man, it's especially in a general area, it's it's quite, quite, quite difficult. Um, and antelope hunting is too. But here's what I'm going to tell you the, the big difference and something I want to leave you with to think about. I've gone early on in my bow hunting career on seven-day elk hunts, seven full days in a general area and never saw an elk. I never heard an elk. I never got to mix it up with them. I never even felt like I was in the game. I was... I was not even the sixth man on the bench. I was the guy that the coach was going to put in when we were up by 90. I, I just never got it. You just never got a chance. And I'm not trying to discourage anybody, but that is a reality that everybody needs to chew on. Um, however, if you go on a general unit, general area pronghorn hunt, you're going to feel like you're in the game from the start because you're going to see them because they're a visible creature. So understand that. I mean, and you can go out and you can work out a lot of Western kinks. You can work work on your spotting and stalking. You can work on your patience, your aggressiveness. You can learn your your camp, your sleep system. If you want to do that, go out there and sleep on the prairie, man. Develop your system. Develop what foods work for you, what foods don't. You can iron all that out on a pronghorn hunt. Get some Western experience. Get some get some um you know just solo out there experience hunting Western big game, and then go after the elk. Um, so if you're considering coming on a Western antelope hunt, do it. And if you do, give me a shout. I'll help you out. There it is. No better way to close it than that right there, Jace. That was, man, there, you know what? I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure. Thank you, bro. Looking, Always fun. Looking forward to seeing all the tags you punch this fall. Cause we know you're going to punch some. So I'm looking forward for that. going to be exciting fall for both of us. We'll definitely have you back on and do a recap later on towards, uh, probably towards winter time. I'm sure you'll have, yeah. an, I'm sure you'll have a few antelope, at least an antelope in Colorado. I don't know. I, I forget if you pulled another tag anywhere else or not, but I know you'll fill nope, that Colorado, just, just Colorado tag this year. Well, there just it is. If nothing else, we'll at least be able to recap what you did in antelope season because it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when you're going to kill one there. So, man, can't thank you enough. Everybody out there listening, follow Jace's lead. Go on an antelope hunt. You will not regret it. And with that, we're going to close this sucker out. You guys know what to do. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Jace. You guys know what to do. Don't fucking settle. We'll catch you next week. Can you say the letter C?
CNC Hunt Files.